listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Yeah. Guess who's back in Guess the house. Heels click clacking around. That's Those it. are all the words I know from that song. <laughs> Look, we're really excited to be back, guys, and we hope you're excited for more episodes. Um, we did take some time off. It's been a long look, time. Not going to lie. It's been a hot second. It's been a very stressful, terrible time. Oh, yes, and, yes and no. Like, nothing particularly bad has happened in the last months, but I feel like we both kind of well and truly burnt ourselves out, both physically and and mentally last year, especially me, I was trying to do too many things last year to fill the void of being able to leave the house. And I think we both kind of felt the flow-on effects from that. Yeah, look, post, post-COVID, things for everyone has been a bit hard to deal with. A lot of people have had um, sort of anxiety issues post-COVID uh, just due to the fact that, like, we went this entire year through a pretty surreal th- global thing, and now we're dealing with the ramifications of that. But also, like, still very surreal. We started this project during COVID, and it was during a time where we weren't leaving the house. And now it's like we're still in this time, but we are doing things and trying to go back to a normal life. And if you are new to the show and you haven't been with us for a while, we have full-time jobs. We have things that we do outside of the show and we mm. don't earn any money from this show whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, it is a difficult it's thing. A, it's a passion project. It is. And it's hard uh, to sort of find the time and mental energy to to sort of commit to it. So, we're going to try our best. Um, we're going to sort of figure it out. You know, it is what it is. Hmm. Uh, for the meantime, we're, we're, you know, we're, we've recently, uh, to be honest, the, the the last few episodes, I I lost the passion for it. Mm. I had zero passion for it. So I, if you are you know, a, a long term listener, thanks for sticking in there. Yep. Thanks for patiently waiting, and thank you. We got so many lovely messages yep. on our various social media platforms saying that people missed us and they were excited for the next next episode, which honestly was kind of what sparked us to start doing it again because we were kind of like, we enjoy doing it and obviously there's you out there who enjoy listening to it and I don't know, I think we got caught up in a bit like the show kind of started to actually get decent listens and we kind of got caught up in negative reviews and I think people forget that we're just two people in our bedroom that – are obsessed with true crime. We don't do it for any other reason aside from that. So I think both of us found like some negative reviews and some kind of like drama within the true crime community on Twitter that I got sucked into that was a bit bullshit. So we're back. Yeah, and I, I can tell you. We like, don't give a fuck what you think. Yeah, about and that's a great, great segue into the fact that if you are someone who does not like swearing in your podcast, we often we do a lot of it. Do swear, so if that is not your thing, please do not tune in. But um, just before we get into it, sorry, Laura, I can say that the passion has come back. It's come back. Um, and if you have noticed something weird with my voice, I do have. Oh, yeah, a cold. he has a cold. 
it's not it is COVID. not COVID. <laughs> Thank fucking Christ. Um, so I will have a darker, sultry voice for this podcast. But anyway, if you are new around here, this is Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. And I've even gone back to my OG ways and I am actually drinking wine this time. Red wine, the OG. If you've been here from episode one, yeah. you know. Um, I'm Laura Lee, one of your amazing co-hosts, and I'm now served with 98% more flavor. Nice. And I am Tama Toa. I uh, slowly am dying from inside. Oh, as opposed to other episodes where you weren't? I feel like we've been slowly... Probably, technically, yeah. we're all slowly dying inside. I'm going to be the next sort of case that you talk about. I'm just going to die in this bed. I feel like maybe one day people are going to tune in and I've actually just lost my shit and murdered you finally. <laughs> Yeah. Today we're going to talk about a recent crime that hasn't even hit the news yet. It's so new. Um, hey, at least we'll be famous by then. Well, we've got to get famous somehow. That'll be, the, that'll be the thing that'll... Maybe that's the way I do it. Well, that's the thing that'll make us famous. And then I start a lucrative career as a author yeah, from within jail. Look I wouldn't out. last in jail. I would not last in jail. Look at Australian true crime. Um, I don't think we have any housekeeping or anything like that because we've disappeared off the face of the earth for like four months. Yeah. There's nothing um, we're talk about. Um, we are in the works of ways that you, the community, can help us out making this show. We will keep you posted on that for now. We'll probably just get right into the show. Yeah. Do I, Do we remember how to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's so foreign to me now. How do we read notes? I, and... I lost my ability to read. I'm now illiterate. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. But I'm going to be going first this week. Now... The thing I love about this show and the fact that it is so kind of like it's just us and it's so informal and we can do whatever the fuck we want is the fact that about six hours ago I was doing a completely different case. Mm -hmm. And then I stumbled across this case in my many, 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 many scrolls of TikTok, uh, which I am now thoroughly addicted to. Yep. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of that case. And I did a quick Google, and I was like, oh, my Lord, this is fucked. I love that. So I quickly spent several hours this evening frantically typing notes up as quick as my little fingers would type. And so we're doing a new case. I do want to say there is a pretty heavy trigger warning for this case. I know everything we cover on the show is completely fucked in some regard, but this one in particular, it's dealing with not only children, but babies, like a tiny, teeny little baby. So if that is really not your thing, maybe just skip ahead to Tama's story. Yep. In saying that, I'm covering someone whose surname I'm probably going to mispronounce. If you've been around long enough, you know that I normally call the offenders by their surname. Today I'll be calling the offender by her first name because I'm going to say it once and never again. I'm covering Dina Schlosser. Schlosser? Which kind of looks like Schluzer. Schluzer. Why don't you just call her Schluzer? Dina Schluzer. Yeah, fucking Schluzer. And this is a really... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, what a Schluzer. (laughs) Um, This is a really awful story for so many reasons. It's just a bit of horrific murder and the medical system completely kind of failing someone and letting them fall between the cracks and the 
lack of, I guess, kind of rules and regulations against like cult-like religious sex bringing in people who are obviously very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and as this is the case, I find with lots of more recent stories and stories where there's only one crime, I really couldn't find a lot about Dina's backstory. All I was really able to find was she was born in 1969 and it was obvious from pretty fairly on that she had not only some heavy-duty physical illnesses but obviously mental as well. So when she was just eight, she was diagnosed with, okay, here we go, hydrocephalus, also known as cerebrospinal fluid, um, entering the brain. So due to the many surgeries that she had to have, eight in total, uh, for this, which involved kind of putting shunts in her brain to relieve the pressure that would build up from the fluid entering her brain cavity, she was mercilessly bullied in school from um, having her head shaved because she had to have brain surgeries over and over again. So her head was always shaved. So Mm. she was bullied very hard in school. And so from this, she developed a very incredibly close relationship with her mother, Connie. Throughout her life, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, postpartum psychosis and depression and postpartum depression, as well as suffering from three miscarriages in the span of a decade. Dina met her husband, John, while they were both studying at university or college for our lovely American listeners. However, while Dina worked and obtained a degree in psychology, it was said that John fooled around, skipped a lot of classes, and he never actually ended up graduating. When they were finished with college, they moved to Texas to a town called Fort Worth, and it was here that they heard about a religious Christian group called the Water of Life. So I want to move across here for a bit and talk about Doyle Davidson, who is the pastor of Water of Life. So Doyle is now 74, and he believes that he is a prophet and an apostle and a conduit through which God himself would speak. So God, in air quotes, God told told Doyle that in 1981, a Jezebel spirit ruled the town of Plano, a spirit of witchcraft that originates in a woman and operates through her to rule men. So for lack of a better word, he's a misogynistic piece of shit. Right. So he believes that any church that teaches anything aside from what he teaches at the Water of Life is hearsay, and he's been involved in multiple scandals since his first television appearance in 1984. Basically, he'd get put on a network say something stupid, get pulled off the network. Amazing. Most members who were once a part of Water of Life and have left have described it as much more of a cult than a church, with support groups even having been set up for those ex-members who fear retribution once they leave the church. So Dina, at the height of her, I guess, religious fanaticism, would sometimes attend Water of Life seven nights a week. Doyle, however, is one man who in this whole thing has largely escaped criticism for, I guess, his adjacent involvement in Dina's crimes. However, more recently, Dina's family, as well as former church members, have launched a campaign to try to get his teachings disbarred, as well as his, I guess, the part he played in this horrendous crime acknowledged, I guess. Doyle's teaching not only were incredibly detrimental to basically anyone who wasn't a white man, but he also taught that medication was witchcraft. Dina and John joined Water of Life in the year 2000, at which stage Doyle's teaching had reached the height of their lunacy. They were recommended the church by a neighbor, and despite the church being a 100-mile drive away, literally 100 miles... They wanted the sense of community that a church would bring them, and having both been raised as Catholic, they recognized that a large church group could probably give them that. 
So they quickly fell into church life, and just one year later, when Dina's mother and stepfather went to visit, they could already see a drastic change in the family. Dina would often call her mother Connie multiple times a day, and Dina's stepfather has remarked that quickly after they became involved in the church, most of their conversations went from just being everyday, oh, what dress should I wear, or what should I cook for dinner, to being revolved around Dina just raving on about Water of Life and how amazing Doyle was. Early in the year, John had lost his high-paying job and it was obvious that the family was struggling financially to make ends meet. By midway through 2001, they were taking handouts from Dina's biological father in total around $35,000. And Dina's stepfather, Mick, later learned that a large portion of this was just given to the church as tithings and not actually used by the family. Oh, right. It was shortly after their first visit in 2002, they begin to see other changes in the family, obviously brought on by the teachings of the church. During one visit, Connie notices that her granddaughter, Brianna, has a cough. She, being a former nurse, um, brings a medicinal cough syrup to which Dina promptly throws it in the bin, stating, we don't use that, we use prayer. She also discovered that many nights the children would go without dinner due to the long hours spent driving back and forth to the church seven nights a week. Well, so imagine you lose a finger. And someone's like, oh, I can like... So that back to the on. Doctor. And they're like, no, no, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray my finger back on. I'm going to pray it back on. Yeah. <laughs> can I pray my depression away? <laughs> I don't know, man. I tried for a long time. Yeah, you did. Doesn't you really work. Did. I found wine works a lot better. It does. So... <laughs> Exposing myself. Damn. So in autumn of 2002, the bank forecloses on the family home and they move into an apartment complex in Plano, which is where the church was. So obviously much closer to the church. It was around this time that Dina's mother, Connie's Parkinson's, also escalated. And in response, Dina leans into the church even harder. After another visit in which Connie attended church with Dina, Doyle performs a, quote, exorcism to banish the demons of Parkinson's within Connie. So confident in his teachings, and this part is just so sad, so confident in his teachings that when Dina drops her mother off to the airport for her to go home that same day, she takes her mother's Parkinson medication from her and throws it away. No. So Connie, shortly after, without her medication, goes into full body paralysis and sits in the airport all night, basically having, you know, urinated and pooed all over herself. She just sits in her own filth for a whole night until a stranger notices her condition and sort of rifles through her luggage until he's able to locate some spare pills that Connie forgot forgot she had. Jesus. So over the course of the next year, her relationship with her mother and stepfather further deteriorates and it's obvious that sort of the lure of the church is pulling Dina in further and further and she's basically just as far from her family as you can get. At the beginning of 2004, Dina gives birth to a daughter, Margaret, or Maggie. So Maggie is born at home partially due to the couple having no money, so therefore no health insurance, and partly due to John's belief that hospitals were too clinical to give birth in, which that's, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's the point. That's, that's the point. great point. <laughs> Despite a difficult birth, Maggie had been born healthy, but Dina was gripped by the idea that she'd actually given birth to twins, with the boy twin having died after birth and gone back to heaven. Just a day after Maggie's birth, after reading her Bible, the word cut jumps out at her and Dina believes that God has told her to cut her wrists. 
John comes home to find Dina on the bathroom floor holding the baby with her wrists slit covered in blood. He does not take her to the hospital. He just prays it away. Of course he doesn't, yeah. Just a few days after this, um, while sitting in the family room watching a movie with her younger children, Dina believes that the characters within the film, The Little Mermaid, were talking and laughing at her and runs out of the apartment screaming, chased by her five-year-old daughter, Kesley. Shortly after, police receive a call from concerned motorists and Dina is found standing in the middle of an intersection with her arms stretched towards heaven. When officers approach her, she does not speak, merely screams at them. Sheesh. As a surprise to no one, she's then sent to Green Oaks, Green Oaks Hospital where she's diagnosed with postpartum psychosis, which is kind of in the same family of postpartum depression, which is a pretty common thing that women who've given birth but obviously much more severe. Yeah, yeah, of course. John, however, believes that the hospital was confusing her religious speak with psychosis and believes that the best place for Dina to be is at home with her family. Dina is released 23 hours later but is forbidden to make contact with her two older children for two months and so John's mother comes from New York to take the children away for a few months. Dina is also prescribed with medication to assist her psychosis. Dina initially fights to be medicated, telling staff that she's concerned the effect it would have on her breast milk. However, CPS workers assigned her case believes it's the influence of the church and Doyle that kept Dina wanting to go off her medication. 100%, yeah. The church teaching its patrons that medicine is evil. Family and friends try to convince her to stay the, uh, stay the course with her meds, but husband John was staunchly against it, and she was basically what John says That's goes. The law. Yeah. So despite his protest, the medication does work for a time, because duh. Yep. Dina grows healthier and hallucinations stop. Dina is allowed to see her other children again, and her psych- psychiatrist allows her to go off her medication because she's doing so well on the proviso that she checks in regularly, which, spoiler alert, she doesn't. (laughs) Spoiler alert, she does not. Dina and John believed that their prayers were the thing making the difference, not the medication. And as to be expected, basically as soon as her medication stops, Dina's hallucinations increase dramatically and her mental state falls off the deep end rapidly. She believed a neighborhood boy who came to their doorstep was Jesus. Characters in TV shows talked to her. The neighbor's dog would eat her, but still the family just prayed and none of the CPS workers were contacted, nor was her original psychiatrist. Of course. On May 18th, Dina checks herself into Plano Medical Center. However, John is again able to talk his wife out of help and take her home. After an incident where church pastor Doyle was arrested for choking a congregation member that he'd previously Jesus. dated in her home, to which he says he was exercising her of demons, Dina believes that she needs to drive to the police station to act as a character witness for Doyle, believing that he's been wrongfully charged. Keeping in mind, this occurs two months after the event, so she is so stuck on this thing and just stewing and ruminating on this thing for two months. And then one night she's like, I got to go to the police station. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to go. I got to go now. And John manages to talk her out of it. However, the following day, Dina again begs to be taken to the police station. She's obviously on edge and not doing well. Instead of checking her into a hospital or talking to anyone, with an iota of sense, he takes her to work with him so he can keep an eye on her, as you do. Yeah, of course. 
So obviously her mental health doesn't improve from there. And on the morning of November 22nd, 2004, John leaves his wife at home to go to work. Before he leaves, he puts on church hymns for her, stating that he believes that they will soothe her. While at home, Dina sits in the lounge and watches television where she sees a news story about a boy being mauled by a lion. She views this as a sign of the coming apocalypse and that she heard God commanding her. If you didn't take heed of my original trigger warning at the beginning of this and you really don't want to hear it, I'm really just warning you, don't listen. She's fucked. So marching into the kitchen, Dina picks up a nine-inch knife from their knife block. She then walks into the room of her 11-month-old baby, Margaret, and proceeds to cut her arm off. Autopsy reports show as many as 50 shallow puncture wounds on baby Margaret's cheek, where she'd moved around in agony, thrashing her head, and the tip of the knife pierced her face as her mother slices into her left shoulder. The cuts on the opposite side of her face were substantially less, indicating that it was highly likely that Maggie was already deceased prior to her other arm being removed. Oh, Jesus. Dina then turns the knife on herself and begins to slice into her own arm, stopping only when she gets halfway through her shoulder muscle. Psychiatrist David Self said she felt she was basically commanded, in essence, to cut Maggie's arms off and her own arms off and her legs and her head and in some way to give them to God. Self was the one who evaluates Dina in the months after her arrest. Shortly after this, she calls John back and basically tells him what she's done. He doesn't believe her and thinks that she's off the deep end. Instead of contacting anyone who would be appropriate, he calls their friendly neighbourhood pastor, Doyle, who instructs John to contact their neighbour, Carolyn, who is also a church member. Carolyn Thomas calls Dina, also doesn't call 911. It's a worker at the daycare centre Carolyn is at who just overhears the conversation and finally calls 911 and the police. When police arrive, they find Dina seated, holding the knife, covered in blood, and calmly singing along to the church hymns, which are still playing in the background. Oh, that is creepy. Dina pleads not guilty for reason of insanity. Most of her defense case defense's case rather centers around whether Dina was aware or not of what she was doing. After a bumpy road and a mistrial for the original trial, Dina is found not guilty by reason of insanity and committed to the North Texas State Hospital. Her roommate, oddly enough, I found this fact very interesting, was a woman called Andrea Yates, who was also there for drowning her five children in a bathtub, which she had said she did to protect them from Satan. Right. I would think that people like that would not be roomed together. Apparently... Not. Well, I mean, they're in the same category. Yeah, they're just being resourceful. Don't you think they'd like, like two religious fanatics? Surely they would like egg each other on, though. I mean, maybe they're just being kind and like they have something to talk about. You know, they're, they're vaguely in the you same. You talk about murdering your own—that's a really yeah. odd topic of conversation. That's something you have in common. Uh, so after she's committed, her husband John files for divorce, and Dina is prohibited from ever seeing or contacting both John or her other two children again. In November 2008, Dina was released into outpatient care, however, was recommitted again later, and from what I can see, remains in state care to this day. Wow. That's just, that. that is just sad. Like, really kind of sad because it's one of those things where there's so many clear signs of mental health degradation and issues that 
were just overlooked because, you know, this these these dickheads thought they knew better yeah. than everyone else. Like it's if you take away the religious aspect of it, which that it's kind of insig- it's the religious aspect is insignificant. Really, what it is is just a bunch of guys who think they know better than everyone else. Yeah, but it's just um. It's such a case of people like that just kind of falling through the cracks because from what I, I – there was some few things I didn't include because I just, you know, didn't think they were overly yeah. important. But there are a few things of uh, like CPS had originally – so the second time Dina tried to go back on her medication, they were told by CPS that they wouldn't be like covered for like uh, assistance – yeah. for paying for the medication. So because they were poor, they went, okay, well, not only do we not really want to take it in the first place, we also can't afford it. And then that was an error that CPS had made and they were actually eligible to be rebated for the drugs. But then they were told and they never bothered reapplying and no one ever followed it up and it kind of just fell through the cracks and no one realized that she wasn't still taking her drugs. Right. And then there was a few cases of like this doctor didn't speak to that person who didn't tell them that. And so then she missed out on all these checkup appointments because there were miscommunications from different staff members. It's just, it seems like something that was so avoidable. Yeah. A lot of it is just. Which is what just makes it so sad. It's frustrating and sad that. It could have been avoided so easily. It's just a combination of someone who's so obviously mentally unwell. Yeah, yeah. Not only falling through the cracks when it comes to the mental health system, but having this motherfucking piece of shit <sighs> yeah. person like in their ear completely taking advantage of people who they were literally just looking for like friends because it was a new town that they'd moved to and they didn't know anyone. Yeah, you often get that where there's someone who has a, a, a sort of source of power or a place of power that they want to control everyone around them. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Laura. Uh, we're going to have a little break now. and Yeah, we're trying it. We're trying yeah. a new thing where we're just going to take a quick little five-second break so yep. we can go pee, restock our glasses... And once we get back, I will be talking about Nicholas Cruz, who was responsible for the Parkland, Florida shooting. Um, We'll be right back with that. And we're back. Welcome back. So, today I will be talking about probably what is the most... uh, I don't really know how to sort of put this, but it's one of those events in history, and especially in American history, recent history, that kind of changed a lot of the views that we have on laws and gun control gun control mm-hmm. and just everything to do with politics and law enforcement and really it was kind of a, a an eye-opener and a life-changing uh, event you know i am of course talking about nicholas cruz and the parkland florida shooting um the event where three teachers and 14 students have sadly passed away and 17 additional students were seriously wounded. It is, and I, I believe to this date, the worst um, school shooting to date that has happened. Um, and if you remember um, when this sh- shooting happened, it was around 
um, this whole conspiratorial theory where um, oh, they sent they they were crisis actors, actors yeah, yeah. Um, which I'll get into later. But um, again, uh, trigger warning for this one as well if you are sensitive to school shootings because I know it is a big thing that affects a lot of people, especially our American audiences. So if there's mm. something that you are sensitive to, um, we understand. Please do not listen. Um, however, we'll get right into it. So Nicholas Jacob Cruz, who was the student or rather the person behind the shooting, was 19 years at the the time. He was born on September 24th in 1998 in Margate, Florida. At birth, he was adopted by his adopted parents, Linda and Roger Cruz. He also had a uh, biological brother that was adopted along with him. In uh, in 2004, his adoptive father passed away at the age of 67, and later on in 2017, his adoptive mother would follow as well. Uh, now, in 2017, Cruz is now orphaned again, uh, about three, and this is about three months or so before the actual um, shooting occurs. Uh, since his mother's death, he was living with various friends and relatives, and around this time, he enrolled in the GED program and was employed at a local Dollar Tree. He was also a member of the JROTC and had received multiple awards, including academic achievement in maintaining an A grade in JROTC and Bs and other subjects. And he was also a member of the school's varsity air rifle team. Now, it seems that ever since uh, middle school, Cruz had uh, behavioral issues. The school he attended was attempting to get uh, students more help rather than referring to to local law enforcement. Though over the three years that uh, Cruz was transferred, um, over the three years of uh, his middle school years, he was transferred between six different schools in an attempt to help him deal with his issues. In 2014, he was transferred to a school for children with emotional and learning disabilities where, supposedly, he made several threats towards other students. In 2016, he returned to Stoneman Douglas High School, but he was again later expelled in 2017. Now, um, I'm not too sure how it works, but in the Broward County school system, he couldn't have been expelled completely. So, instead, they transferred him to alternate placement. The school's administration informed teachers of Cruz's uh, threats towards other students, and subsequently, he was banned from wearing backpacks on campus. A lot of people knew about Cruz and his family, and they talked about how he... Uh, he abused and mistreated his adoptive mother in several different ways. This included threatening her, attacking her physically, and ordering her around, uh, and also stealing from her. So not a very good no way to treat your mother. Good start. No, um, he also apparently uh, threatened his brother and caused damage to the family home. His mother knew his actions were wrong, and even went as far as calling his son, her son, evil, but she never reported anything, of course, seemingly out of fear. She thought that he would not be held responsible and reporting him would only prompt him to make her life more difficult. I also feel like you'd have a lot of, like, mother guilt. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's your son and he's been raised without a father, you know. Yeah, would also, I guess their behavior would make you question a lot about yourself. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so at the time of him being expelled, a co-worker of Chris's at the dollar store that he works at heard him talking about how his desires for attacking Majory Stone and Douglas High School, the school he got expelled from. And this same co-worker knew that he had been expelled recently from that school. He was talking about reportedly uh, starting wanting to start fights or bringing weapons to school grounds. Um, psychiatrists recommended an involuntary admission of Cruz to a residential treatment facility starting in 2013. And this is kind of where we get into the whole, his every single step that could have prevented at least something or gotten someone help that they needed. Yeah. The Florida Department of Children and Families investigated him in September 2016 when he made Snapchat posts where he cut both of his arms and said he planned to buy a gun. So, yeah, fair enough, right? At this time, a school resource officer suggested he undergo an involuntary psychiatric examination under the provisions of the Baker Act. Two guidance counselors agreed, but uh, a separate mental institution did not. Uh, State investigators reported that he had depression, autism, and ADHD, and also concluded that he was, quote, at low risk of harming himself or others. So, yeah. Boward County Police linked uh, several online profiles and accounts uh, in social media and YouTube uh, comments to Cruz. Most of them, interesting enough, they contain photos and posts with him having carried weapons, um, including knives, shotguns, uh, pistol, and a BB gun. And... Uh, really odd extremist views, um, mostly towards containing slurs towards Muslims and African-Americans. Mm. Now, um, I, I won't give my thoughts on this too much because this is not what the show is about, but there is a whole pretense of radicalization in this story. Right. This is kind of where we sort of see a bit more of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he has YouTube comments there where he's describing uh, threats against Antifa, the police. Um, he even has a quote where he says on one of the comments, quote, I want to die fighting, killing shit ton of people, end quote. Now, here's why I prefaced that before. Cruz is a big supporter of Donald Trump. Uh. Yeah. His personal Instagram showing him wearing a Make America Great Again cap... And a lot of references to his anti-immigration, anti-liberal messaging, anti-liberal propaganda. Um, So you can kind of see the seeds forming, rather. Uh, and And it's quite sad to sort of have this whole step, right? Like it's, it's, you can sort of see where it's, where it's leading to. Yeah. Uh, After the massacre, he would later go on to, um, after he would, he of course did the shooting. Uh, police found several items belonging to him, including gun magazines that had swastikas carved on them. Jesus. Uh, one student actually claimed that Cruz had drawn a swastika on his bag with the words, I hate N words, on his backpack. So, yeah. 
Uh, he was also a private Instagram group that he was part of where he expressed his racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, and xenophobic views. He would often talk about how he wanted to kill gay people and Mexicans and keep black people in chains. Jesus Christ. He said he simply ha- he hated black people simply because they were black and Jewish people because he believed they wanted to destroy the world. He also referred to the fact that white women who engage in interracial relationships are traitors. Yeah. Right. Cute. Yeah. So you can kind of see like uh, this this whole stage of his life is just not leading down to a good path. It always baffles me that and I guess it is kind of treading a very fine line of like where do you draw the line on free speech and censorship, but it does always baffle me that groups like that on Instagram are allowed to just freely exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean like I'll get into it later as well because there are there was reporting of his comments on YouTube. Which right. I'll get into that later on, okay. but it is a big, a good point you bring up that a lot of these comments, um, even though they're in private groups, they're still being monitored, of course. Yeah. And he's not making it really private at all. He's posting it on public forums and um, social media, and it's not really setting off any alarms for anyone. Yeah, I guess, like I said, it kind of like stems into a much yeah. larger issue of where you draw the line in the sand of what is freedom of speech. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, and of what is like, yeah, where where censorship comes into play? Yeah. It's a bit more of a complex. It thing. is a bit of a complex issue. So, in the afternoon of February the fourteenth, two thousand eighteen, Cruz at this point is expelled from Stoneman Douglas High School. However, on this afternoon, he arrives on campus. With him, he's carrying a rifle case and a backpack. Instantly, he's recognized by a staff member who later who would go on to radio one of his colleagues that uh, Cruz was walking, quote, purposefully towards Building 12. Now, this is one of the first uh, red flags in terms of why didn't you do your fucking job? And this is the first person and actually the first few people that didn't do their fucking jobs. The uh, staff member who radioed this in did not issue this as a code red, which would, of course, result in the school being locked down, and nor did he pursue Cruz. According to him, he claims his training only called for reporting threats. His colleague decided that they would hide in a closet. Instead of like... Instead of doing literally anything. Literally anything. So they didn't radio anyone. Nope. No code red. No nothing. Just hey, there's a guy with a with a fucking case. This student who's been expelled is arriving on school campus with a large rifle case. I oh, don't worry about it. I mean, it, when it gets to a threat, that that's someone else's job to call a code red. Is what he's saying. Cruz then enters Building 12, a three-story building containing 30 classrooms that are typically used by over 900 students and 30 teachers. With an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and several magazines, Cruz enters the hallway and opens fire randomly at students and teachers alike, during which a fire alarm is triggered, which causes some confusion as earlier in the day there had been a fire drill. Cruz kills three students in the hallway and proceeds to shoot through the windows of four closed classrooms, killing six more students and wounding 13 others. 
Now, another step in why the fuck did this happen? It was impossible for any students in most of the classrooms to find a safe space to hide behind, like a hard corner or some sort of, you know, wall, anything to, to hide their presence. Yeah. Um, because many of the classrooms in Building 12, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have any hard walls. They didn't have anything to block. They all, if they did, they were obstructed by furniture. So these kids were literally sitting ducks in this classroom. Mm-hmm. Is terrible. And this, of course, was something that was later criticized widely and started a huge debate. Um, two of these students that were killed on the day were students in Ivy Skamis' Holocaust history class. Now, sorry if I missed that pronunciation, of course. Um, Skamis was teaching a class lesson on combating hate when Cruz fired shots into her classroom. But five other students in this class were injured as well. Now, um, many people thought that because of his whole neo-Nazi swastika thing that he was doing this in- intentionally. But the teacher of the class didn't think it was so. He thought he was just rain. He just found the classroom, just started mm. shooting. Um, so during the shooting, still no code red is issued at all. In yeah. fact. School employees are freaking out because they don't know who has the authority to do so. In fact, they're debating who has the authority to do so. It's not until 2.21pm a staff member eventually activates a lockdown after discovering the body of a victim and hearing gunfire. Jesus. Yep. In saying that, though, I do remember there was a story that came out of... It may have even been this, this story... I'm, it was a school shooting in America, and I'm sure that the teacher hid the kids in a classroom and, like, hugged them because they all yeah. thought – and the teacher ended up getting in trouble for hugging these kids. I don't remember reading that, but I will get into some of the heroic acts that the teachers did do. Um, it may not have been this one, but I'm sure I read somewhere that that happened and then a bunch of the – like the teacher ended up getting in trouble for hugging the children. Yeah. So just like going back to that, like teachers arguing about who gets to like not, you would hope that in that situation, someone would just be like, fuck my job. I'm calling it. But you can imagine that these people are like, well, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, I lose my health insurance. And then if I trip and break my arm, like it's, I feel like it's, I don't know. The whole job situation is very different. In America, I think... It's, it's a situation that can be fixed in so many different ways. I think their protective laws for employees are a lot less yeah. rigid than what we have here oh, in Australia of course. as well. Yeah, of course. And it is a slippery slope, but it's, you know... And I, I've said this a few times on this show, but you, you look at those situations and you would pray that you would be the person that would do the right thing, but, yeah. like, you never know... What you would do in ...what happens in those situations. Like, especially if you've if you're anxious or panicked... Like your brain, they've actually done like studies on how your brain works when it's hyped up on adrenaline. And so many of your real cognitive functions just shut down because your body just goes, run. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Uh, You just never know how you'd act. Yeah. So additionally to this, um, an armed school resource officer of the Broward County Sheriff's Office was on campus. And when the shooting broke out, he remained outside between Building 12 and adjacent Building 7. Did so he know that there was... He heard the shooting. 
Right. Just sort of stood there. Um, after killing two staff members near a stairwell, uh, Cruz went down to the second floor where he again started firing into classrooms, but this time didn't hit anyone. On the third floor, he opened fire, killing uh, Scott Beagle with a shot to the chest and injuring a teacher as she closed the classroom door. Cruz continued injuring four other students who hid in various places and then reloaded uh, as um, a couple other students were fleeing the stairwell. Uh, He continued firing, killing two more students and injuring two others, both of whom were able to escape. He then moved down to the hall, finishing off students who were unable to flee. Next, he went into the teacher's lounge. He uh, tried to shoot at the windows, but they're um, in Florida, they're hurricane resistant. Mm -hmm. So they were facing towards the yard. Um, He wanted to start opening fire at the students that were running away, fleeing, but he couldn't obviously shoot the windows out. So seven minutes after the massacre, Cruz drops his rifle and seven minutes. Yeah, seven whole this minutes. This all happens of in seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's so it goes like that. The Port Arthur massacre as yes. well. Like you hear yeah. about all these people and you're like, oh, that was over the space of like no twenty minutes, no. seven minutes. Yeah. Fuck. Um, so seven minutes after the massacre, Cruz drops his rifle and blends in with the crowd of people fleeing the building. Police were searching for him for about one hour and 20 minutes, during which he stopped at a Subway restaurant and a McDonald's. Now, on the note of, wow, that is fucking creepy, he went to the McDonald's and sat down and t- had a conversation with one of the his victim's younger brothers. Now, the victim is completely unaware that his sister has just been shot through the chest by the person sitting across from him. That's Having a conversation up. with him. That's, like, truly fucked up. Yeah, truly fucked up. Over the radio, police in the area uh, get a description of the shooter from, um, obviously, the CCTV footage in the school, uh, which eventually led led to an officer identifying and arresting him two miles away from the school. He was taken to the nearest hospital where he was examined by a doctor for about one hour and 45 minutes as he had, quote, labored breathing. He was medically cleared and taken to the local sheriff's office where he had, was then led to his interrogation. And this is why this is the interrogation that has kind of been making this case a bit more, a bit viral lately. Right. This is the, um, this is where he brings on this false narrative of the demons taught me to do it. Mm. Yeah. So th- it's, it's huge right now. Um, whenever there's a, there's a YouTube channel on, on, that um, uploads interrogation footage, which I subscribe to. I watch it all the time. Um, it's It was my inspiration for doing this case today. Um, in the interrogation footage, he insists that the voice told him to do it and told him to buy the rifle and do bad things. And the detective slowly dismantles him and yeah. breaks him down and says, no, you didn't. That, yeah, that's not true. That's not um, correct. Just another case of like how incredible they are at their jobs. Really top notch um, in, in interrogation. Mm. Uh, but anyway, that's where the viral "So are the demons in this room with me right now?" is sort of coming from. Uh, so while SWAT paramedics were inside the school building, and this is another what the fuck moment. Uh, additional paramedics from the local fire rescue department repeated, repeatedly uh, requested that they enter the building, and they were, of course, denied by the Broward, Broward Sheriff's Office, um, even after 
uh, he, that Cruz was arrested, they weren't allowed in the building. What? Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, I don't usually like to... Obviously, I don't want to, you know, use the shooter's name too much, and I have been trying to use his um, last name as much. Uh, I obviously don't want to talk too much about um, names of the people who were kind of in the wrong of this whole situation, and I will be talking about the victims at some point as well, and naming the victims because they're the important people to remember, and the things that they did are the most important things to remember from this story as well, but... Uh, on a this note, is going to make me cry. Uh, kind of, yeah, a little bit. After when I talk about the victims. I haven't sure. cried on this show, but I'm a bit emotional at the moment because mm. I'm really sad that COVID's going to cancel my birthday. So Yeah. So, um, a real piece of shit. Sheriff Scott Israel. Now, he's been called we, into we question. we hate him? We hate him, okay, yeah. He's a great. terrible person. Uh, he's been called into question many times since the shooting because of constant blunders and lack of action on his part. Uh, has been le- it, it's thought that his misaction, his lack of action, rather, mm. it's pretty much what led this shooting to happen, am- amongst other many other things, of course. But it so could have been prevented in in many different ways. Mm. So, Sheriff Scott Israel said that his office received twenty three calls about crews during the previous decade. However. This figure Wait, is not quite right. 23, 23 calls, calls about a 19-year-old. Yep. Yep. Well, before he was even 19. Over the decade. Of, of the whole decade. Right. He had 23 calls. Already, that's like, okay, dude, do something about that. Yeah. However, CNN requested uh, to look at the public records to obtain a sheriff's office log. It was more. And in fact, between the years of 2008... And 2017, all right, not a lot of years, 45 calls were made in reference to Cruz, his brother, or the family home. 40 fucking five. And nothing was ever done. Nothing was done. That's wild. Yeah. On separate occasions, the sheriff office received uh, several tips that uh, Cruz had threatened to shoot up uh, the school on the 5th of February, 2016. Uh, this is exactly why they need to stop fucking publishing their photos and names yeah. all over the news because it just encourages. Because they know that this. Look, like, I understand the irony of me saying that covering a yeah a show, but we could do this story without knowing his name. We could. We could yeah. perfectly do this story by just calling him the shooter or. The perpetrator. You yeah. don't need to know his name. You don't need to know his face. It just encourages copycats. Ironically, the, in this um, shooting, the actual shooting and the result of the shooting, like the victims and the 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 speeches that the victims made. I, I, I'm sure you remember, like that, that was a whole crisis actor thing because of mm. the, the beautiful speeches coming from the students that survived and the students involved. Isn't it so funny how adults just continually downplay? the capabilities of younger people. Yeah. But so, anyway, like, the result of this was that a bit more of a attention towards gun laws in America and how schools operate with these, you know, gun laws and students who are mentally ill. And there was a lot more uh, attention on the survivors than there was on the shooter. Mm-hmm. I remember reading about this 
when it happened and watching all the news about it. And um, the shooter was barely mentioned at all. So he didn't really get his way. Yeah. So there is solace in that. Um, but anyway, so on the 5th of February 2016, they received a tip that Cruz had threatened to shoot up the fucking school that he attended. Uh, as well, on the 8th of November 2017, they received another tip that he might be a, quote, school shooter in the making and that he collected knives and guns. On the 23rd of September, 2016, a peer counsellor notified the school resource officer of uh, Cruz's suicide attempt and intent to buy a gun on his Snapchat story. If you remember when we were talking about that before. Um, the school indicated that it would do a, quote, threat assessment. In uh, September 2016 as well, three people, a sheriff's deputy who worked uh, as a resource officer at Stoneman Douglas and two of the school counselors stated that Cruz should be committed for mental evaluation. Uh, a year later, September 24th, 2017, a person with the, usen- with the username on YouTube, Nicholas Cruz, posted a comment uh, reading, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. The person who uploaded the video on YouTube reported that comment to the FBI. An FBI agent, Robert Lasky reported that the agency conducted a database review, but was unable to track down the whereabouts of the individual making the comment. Mm. However, this is still substantial that it's his actual fucking name. Yeah. It seems like you could fairly like relatively easily. Yeah. Right. Um, on January the 5th, 2018, uh, more than a month before the shooting, uh, the FBI received a tip on its public access line from a person who was close to Cruz. Uh, on February 16th of the same year, two days after this shooting, the agency released a statement that detailed um, exactly this. So the statement uh, is exactly as follows. The caller provided information about Cruz's gun ownership desire to kill people, erratic behavior, and disturbing social media posts, as well as the potential of him conducting a school shooting. After the investigation, the FBI said the tip line did not, quote, follow protocol when the information was forwarded to the Miami field office. That's what you want to hear. Yep. Where investigative steps would have been taken. So, again, it's just like, cool. So, you know, the FBI are like, hey... You guys need to fucking do something about this. And they're like, yeah, no, no worries, bro. Don't worry about it. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's literally infuriating how many red flags and clear signs that presented themselves were. And yet Israel and other members of the Broward County Sheriff's Office did fucking nothing to prevent this massacre from happening. And to get Cruz the obvious help that he needed to prevent this from ever happening. Uh, obviously, he was a, a neo-Nazi, an extremist, and a fan of the Columbine shooters. But... You know, obviously getting the shoe in there beforehand Mm. could have prevented all of this. Um, And obviously after the shooting, there was a lot of negative attention around the sheriff's office with many people calling for Israel's resignation as more and more information began to pile up about his incompetence. Since the shooting, Israel has declined to resign and refuses to take any responsibility for his role in failing to stop Cruz before the mass shooting took place. Of course he does. And... To top it all off in his shitty little dumbass ice cream <laughs> cone, Israel decided uh, described to an, in an interview with CNN that his leadership at the department is as, quote, amazing. 
So, yeah, fuck him. See, I wish I had the confidence Delusion. of an average middle-aged white man. Yeah. Uh, so, there are actually videos that the prosecutors in um, 2018, May 30th, released um, where they have crews recording this cell phone. Um, but this is before the shooting. Uh, videos of him describing his personal feelings, his enthusiasm and plans for the school shooting, his hatred for people, and how he will be the next, quote, school shooter, next big school shooter. Mm. Uh, so, just to go into a bit more on the conspiracy theory. So, there was um, student David Hogg was um, one of the many students that, you know, had a a speech about the school shootings and how change needs to happen. And the only really response he got apart from, you know, a lot of love and respect and support. He also received a lot of false allegations of being a crisis actor. So there was a whole conspiracy theory of how the Parkland, Florida students were crisis actors sent there to, um, dismantle the NRA. Jesus Christ. Um, so the NRA, I think it was actually the NRA and several other uh, gun enthusiasts who made the claim and tried to, to belittle these students who survived a school shooting um, by calling them crisis Like, actors. that just shows the, the lack of empathy and intelligence that these yeah. adults have, that you would go after children because they dare to question your shitty beliefs. It's really bizarre. It really is. Um, so I know that's what I kind of remember the most from this case when it was happening is being so frustrated with the fact that people wanted to be the the person who was right. Like, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. Now they're they're not real students. They're just trying to take away our guns and our rights. Yeah. No, there there's a clear issue here that needs to be solved somewhat but like also why do you need them yeah you know what we haven't had guns in australia since 1992 i have not ever touched seen or looked at a gun do you i am not wanting i am not lacking um cruz legally bought an ar-15 semi-automatic rifle uh, but see, that's the that's the bizarre thing about America. If someone were to say to me, I want you to illegally buy a gun, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. If you were to be like, go to America, buy a gun, I'd be like, okay, I don't really know where to start, but I'm pretty sure I can go to Walmart. Yeah. You asked me to do that in Australia, I'd be <clears> like, I, I don't know. Well, I, so I the, have the th- no clue. The thing that frustrates me is, so, I, I, look, I'm... Not anti-gun. If you want to have a gun, I think you have a right to own a gun. However, the issue is that this kid, Cruz, purchased a gun legally after going through a background check and a mental evaluation check. He passed both. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. That really shouldn't happen. All the... the, His school... uh, Questioning his mental state... But even like, okay, you want a gun, like maybe not a semi-automatic rifle. Yeah, I don't feel like you. No really one who's not that. in a war. You don't need that. You yeah. have no need for that. If you want to go out to a range and shoot targets, you don't need a fucking AK 
whatever the fuck. You don't need that. Yeah. You can do that with a, a handgun. Anyway, um, so... It makes me really angry. I'm I sorry. did want to talk a bit about the, um, the victims. So earlier I mentioned Scott Beagle. He was a geography teacher who was killed after he unlocked a classroom for students to enter and hide from the gunman. Aaron Feiss was a assistant football coach and a security guard, and he was killed as he shielded two students. Chris Hickson, the school's athletic director, was killed as he ran towards the sound of gunfire and tried to help fleeing students. Uh, Peter Wang, who was a, a, a also a student and um, and also a member of the JROTC, which um, is the Junior Reserves Officers Training Corps, um, which also Cruz is a part of. He was um, wearing his uniform, holding doors open so others could get out more quickly. He was unable to flee with the students uh, when Cruz appeared and shot him and he was fatally killed. Um, many people who would later read the story about what happened commended his actions and described him as a hero. Uh, a White House petition was circulated calling for him to be buried with full military honours because it was part of the Junior Reserves Officers Training Corps. Mm. Um, at their respective funerals, uh, Wang... Uh, Aliana, Petty, and Martin Duque were all posthumously honored by the U.S. Army with the ROTC Medal of, for Hero- Heroism. And this was going to make me cry. Yeah, it will. Wang was buried in his JROTC blues uniform. Oh, stop it. On February the 20th, he was given a rare posthumous admission to the United States Military Academy. A real hero. Uh, Alyssa, uh, oh, sorry, Alyssa um, Aladef was the captain of the Parkland Soccer Club. On uh, March the 7th, 2018, nearly three weeks after the shooting, she was honored by the United States Women's National Soccer Team prior to a game in Orlando. Her teammates and family were invited to the game and presented the official jersey that featured her name. Meadow Polak was a senior who was shot four times. As the shooter fired into other classrooms, Polak crawled into a classroom door but was unable to get inside. Kara Longran, who was a freshman, um, was alongside Polak. Polak covered Longran in an attempt to shield her from the bullets, but unfortunately the shooter returned to the classroom and located both these students and discharged his weapon five more times unfortunately killing both girls. The last victim to remain hospitalized was 15-year-old Anthony Borges. He was discharged on April 4th. He was dubbed as the real Iron Man. Now, he was shot five goddamn times after he used his body to barricade the door from a class and a classroom where 20 students were inside. Fucking hero. Upon his release, uh, Borges issued a statement that criticized the actions of Broward Sheriff's deputies, Bam Bam, Sheriff Scott Israel, and School Superintendent Robert uh, Runcy. His family has filed notice of its intent to sue the school district for personal injury to cover costs related to his injuries uh, and recovery, and Borges was uh, honored with a humanitarian award at the 2018 BET Awards. Um, and there's, uh, a photo, a fucking, 
of course there is, oh, of Sheriff Israel visiting Anthony Borges while he's in the hospital. They had to get a photo of that. I would have kicked him in the dick. I would have punched him right in the face. Survivors of the shootings, uh, teachers, students alike, they've all struggled with survivor's guilt and other symptoms of PTSD. Unfortunately, um, there were some students who survived who later on um, sadly passed away. On the 17th of March, 2019, about 13 months after the shooting, 19-year-old Sydney Ileo, who survived and lost her friend Meadow Polak the year before, died by suicide after struggling to attend college. She was terrified of being in a classroom again, as you would, Mm -hmm. and had been undergoing treatment for survivor's guilt and PTSD. Less than a week later, a 16-year-old boy who also survived the shooting died by suicide as well. Um, a teacher, the teacher I mentioned before, Ivy Seamus, who was the um, educating people about anti-hate and the Holocaust, she was presented with the USC Shoah Foundation's inaugural Stronger Than Hate Educator Award in 2019. During her acceptance speech at the awards ceremony, Seamus was honored victims uh, Nick Dwarrant and Helena Ramsey, who died in her class during the shootings. And that's that. Uh, just another sort of... It was a really big um, time. This was sort of at the heat of like, holy shit, this is happening every day. Mm. Like It th- does. It does. I think it literally, maybe not as big as that, but it literally happens like every week in the States, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It was um, the heat of the debate of like, we really need to fucking do something about this. And yet... We haven't, really. That was the first episode I've cried. Yeah, well, there you go. Done pretty well. I, I just, I really wanted to highlight the victims in that one because they were fucking heroes. Just so many people, when when the faculty in many areas was failed. frazzled and failed, um, the superintendent, of course, failed as well. Um, faculty hiding in closets, failing to report the fact that a person was carrying a rifle toward a case towards a school. There were faculty members who were risking their lives protecting the students that they saw every day and fellow students risking their lives to protect their peers and colleagues. Um, Really is something that needs to be highlighted because, you know, the fucking media won't, really. You know? Um, Again, another reason why I say that the shooter himself is not really recognized that much because so much positive more positive things yeah um derived from um you know the victims recoveries and their stories it's just so wild that children can't go to school and feel safe yeah i mean i can't even imagine what it's like to be a middle school or a high school in america right now it's it's got to be frazzling yeah, like how are you going to focus on school when you're probably worried that literally any second some person could come into your school and yeah. shoot you? Many of of um, his peers would would like talk about the fact like we think he's going to be a school shooter. Yeah, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be this guy. Yeah, you know he's been held back, he's been suspended, he's been expelled. He's going to come to school. He had previously had fights with um, one of his friends who uh, over a girl and he lost the fight. 
and everyone was like, this guy's been expelled. He lost a fight against another person over a girl. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah. You need to say accountability. That was full on. Yeah. That was a, that was a good one. Yeah. You made um, me cry. Yeah, I did. I really did. Um, you know, I would encourage people to read more about the victims because that is a, it is a very good read, um, about a lot of heroic actions and, uh, the victims who survived as well, who went on to make amazing speeches, um, you know, who sadly, a lot of which had to delete their social media accounts because of a lot of backlash and hate they received from NRA fans and gun enthusiasts and whatnot. Um, it's unfortunate, but I encourage you to read more about it. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We we glad to be back. Um, you know, we love doing the show, and it is good to have that passion back again to want to tell these stories. Yeah, and I think our plan moving forward is to just like avoid looking at reviews. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, our new sort of philosophy is I don't give a fuck. We don't look at reviews. We don't. Yeah. It sounds silly, but like we're both creatives, and we're both creatives that you know struggle yeah, to, with mental health issues. So. To give you an idea, we started this during COVID as a passion project, and it still is a passion project, and it started doing really well, and we were we were really proud of it. And to have people dismantle that over trivial things like swearing or you know the drama between other shows like questioning our journalistic integrity we're like like, we're not journalists journalists. we've never claimed to be we're two fans of true crime who wanted to make a show we're literally sitting on our bed right now there is no journalistic integrity to this show but that's also why i think the show has done pretty well is because we're we're just people like you who are listening right now we're not journalists we're not anyone special we're not even really we just have google We, we 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 find stories that are interesting to us. We research them through the time that we have and we talk about them. And that's why you probably enjoy listening to this show is because yeah. you're like us. We're not any different to you. And we that's are the just thing that like always you. baffled me when people try and tear you down by being like, oh, if I wanted to read Wikipedia, I just Google it. Okay. Do it then. Go go Google yeah. it. Go do it. Yes. You yeah. can find everything we talk about on the show on like Wikipedia or like the first page of Google. Like, yes. Yeah. We've never denied that. When we have the time, the money and the resources to hire people to edit our podcast, to do the research notes for us, whatever, then yeah, fucking hell. We will, we will do a better job with that. But- as it is right now, we're doing the best we can with the time and resources we have. Exactly. You know, we like, just do it because it's fun. Yeah. So stop making it not fun. Exactly. And to all the people who have supported us and like listening to the show and have yes, given us such negativity. a warm welcome, we are so thankful and we want to just focus on you on people. On you guys, um, on the nice people 100%. that like to listen to the show yeah. and send us messages and send us photos of your. Yeah. Fur babies, that's all we want. And we want to figure out ways to be more interactive with you guys. Where We've got a lot of fun things planned um, that we want to try and implement. And obviously, we've got the six degrees of separation. Um, but we want to start working more with you people. So hit us up with messages and comments and um, stories you'd like us to cover. Um, anything you want to talk about. Even if you're having a shit day, let us know and we'll send you photos of our cats. Yeah, I'm a cancer, so yeah. I'll be your therapist. Yeah. Why pay for therapy when you have me? Exactly. Speaking of, it is cancer season, so buckle in, bitches. It's time to cry. Yeah. 
As I already have. Yeah, Laura already has. I already have. I've mm. cried twice today. And that's why, because it's cancer season. Mm. It's my birthday in It is. Four days. Everyone wished Laura a happy birthday. Whoop, this will whoop. come out Wednesday. My birthday is on Saturday. This will, this will come out the Tomorrow. 23rd. Laura's birthday is... The 26th. 26th. So, wish Eric I'm very Laura excited. a happy birthday when this episode comes out. I'm just like... Holding out for those COVID numbers to stay yep. down. We've had like a small outbreak yeah. in Sydney. And for people who aren't in Australia, we've It's looking little... potentially like we may get a snap lockdown again, yep. which is not what you want to hear four days before your birthday. I mean, it is what it is. If it happens, it happens. But I'm just like putting it out, good vibes in the universe, yep. manifesting low case numbers. Hell yeah. Because I bought a new dress. It looks really good on me. I want to wear it. I want to get drunk with my friends. That's... Yeah. I'm fairly easy to please. That's it. All right. And on that note, I suppose are we, we'll... Are we ending it? I think so. I feel like we haven't rambled. We usually ramble a lot more at the end. Sure. Do you want, what do you want to ramble about? I have no idea. All right. <laughs> um, I've, well, I mean, if you want to ramble about podcasts, I've been re- listening to The, oh, the Office, Office Ladies. Ladies. Yeah. Big fan of The Office. Um, one of my favorite shows and recently found The Office Ladies podcast and it's incredible i love it all the little tidbits you learn about the show like i said i'm a big fan so learning all those like little hidden things is really fun and Mm. sort of making my way through the catalog it's like they go through every episode as um each episode of the show so like the pilot what they'll do when they the podcast will end i guess i suppose that'll be it yeah yeah i mean it's been going since 20 eight 2019 yeah it's been going since 2019 and they're only up to the weight loss episodes i think so what's that season four Four, i think yeah so they've got a long way to go mm. you know we finally started D D. oh yeah we started D D. for anyone we're we're toying with the idea of doing a D podcast yeah potentially uh, but that would require the rest of our crew being on board and we haven't actually discussed the idea with them at all. Um, and I also don't know how it would work. But I think it would be fun. And I think if we're just chucking mics up and just being as is, I think it would be really fun. But, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. But um, it's a lot of fun. We're enjoying it. Tamara um, and I have been wanting to play D&D for about two years and we've just not been able to find – Either people that are close, that live close enough to us to, you know, be able to do campaign nights with them fortnightly or we've got friends that are already playing and have been in the middle of campaigns so you can't really just like tack yourselves on. And we finally found the perfect little group of weirdos just like us who we're doing D&D with fortnightly Mm -hmm. and I'm so excited and my soul is so happy and all is well in the world. Yeah. Do we want to give um, a word of the day? Like how we used to do that? Oh, what yeah. Pumpernickel. Pumpernickel. The send, word of the week is pumpernickel. Send pumpernickel in to let us know you've listened all the way to the end of the yeah, show. Yeah, send it via Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. Um, we would love – We, I mean, as much as we, we said that we weren't going to watch downloads or listen to reviews, we would love to like – have our triumphant return be a big one. So if you feel like sharing the episode on your socials, we'd very much appreciate that. Get yeah. your 
get your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your auntie, your uncle, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your dog yep. and your cats to listen. Everywhere you buy pumpernickel uh, bread <laughs> What is from, a pumpernickel? I, I said I don't even know what it is. I think it's a type of like bagel. Seed? I think it's a bagel. It's a flavor, isn't it? Isn't it a seed? No, I think it's pumpernickel is like a flavor of bagel. It's like the type of flour and... They use, I think. Google to the rescue. I'll have an yeah. answer for you in a memento. I think that's what it is. Pumpernickel bagel sounds about right. Pumpernickel is a dark, dense <coughs> German bread made from coarsely ground wholemeal rye. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. So it's a type of bread. Yeah. We learn new things every week. Of course. Uh, but yeah, if you do feel like following us, um, I'll be back on my meme game from tomorrow. So we are oh, yeah. the BSC podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I've been toying with the idea of doing a TikTok, but also don't know if I can be bothered. So we'll figure it out. We'll see. I yeah. also need to get a new phone because the camera on my phone Suck. is crappy because yeah. my phone is like five years old. Maybe I'll do the. The TikToks. Maybe. Ooh. Well, we could at least use your phone. Yeah. I wouldn't mind doing some TikToks. They're good fun and it's scarily easy if you get like one viral video to yeah. just kind of go off. Yeah, maybe we should get back into that. We should. Yeah. It was fun. That was another thing we did in lockdown that we don't do anymore. We used to do little yeah. corny TikToks together. Yeah. We're going to start getting back into stuff like that. Um, I think, honestly, I feel like we both kind of just lost our personalities a little bit at the start of the year. Like, we were both yeah. very enveloped in getting back into day-to-day life. I had a lot of family drama going on that kind of yeah. took up a lot of space in both of our lives. And then I think we were just kind of recovering from that. And I feel like we're both kind of rediscovering our personalities. Like, it sounds really cheesy and corny, but I do feel like when you're so overwhelmed by your everyday day-to-day life and you're so caught up in just kind of getting through each day – you don't have time to kind of do those little things that you enjoy that kind of make you, you. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it is, is that we got sort of back into the routine of like everyday life, like you said. And, um, it became like, we have all these things we want to do, but mentally it's hard to find the space for it. Mm. Where I think we recently have been like, well, why... We have to make space like, for But, it. like, why do we need to focus all our mental energy on things that we don't like doing or that we don't necessarily need to focus all the time yeah. on? Yeah. Like, if we're exhausted from, you know, our day-to-day, you know, routine, um, like I said, you know, we have... We, we don't earn any money from this stuff. We have our own jobs that we do. Um, why can't we afford to spend more mental energy on the stuff we like doing? Yeah, so, exactly. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. So, but you yeah. know, with that, uh, with that uh, new disposition, that's... Uh, new outlook on life. Where we're at, yeah. We're bigger and better than before. Yeah. Why do I feel like that's a song? Bigger and better than before. Is that a song? Did I yeah, just make that it's up? It's going to be our new theme song. <laughs> just me singing yeah. it in that voice. Yeah. Bigger and better than before. All right, I think we should wrap up because I am, I am dying. Okay, I am, fair I've enough. been coughing way too much in this episode already. I apologize for that. I am a shell of a man. Man flu. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I'm somewhat of a man, but I have man flu. Mm, pathetic. Yeah. Pathetic. I'm a zesty straight boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. And on that note, um, word of the week is Pumpernickel. Pumpernickel. Shoot us a message on social media. We are at yep. the BSC podcast on all things social. And we promise, I swear on the ring. Oh, on the ring. The one will, ring. The one ring. The one ring to rule them all. Yes. We swear we will be back next week. Yeah, we will be back. Because we had like we dropped like one episode after being gone for yeah. four months and then never dropped another one. Oops. Yeah. Sorry. We're we're back for good, I promise. <laughs> Oops. My bad. <laughs> what a cock tease of a podcast yeah. we are. Well look, man, fucking We that's literally it. did. We disappeared for four months, dropped one episode, and then disappeared for like five months. Look, we gotta, you know, treat them mean, keep them keen. Is that how it works? I don't know. Apparently. I'm not that much of a straight guy, to be honest. Yeah, so we had one episode on the 28th of October, one episode on the 17th of March, and then we haven't done anything since then. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) But yeah, that was was the idea. We kind of like got to that point where like... uh, Yeah, I think we did that first episode and we were like, this isn't fun. Yeah. But now we've like gotten back into it. The the groove is back. We're kind of like reformatting things a bit, and the boys are back in town. Yeah, that's it. Fuck on, yeah, Queen. On that note, we'll see you next week. Arrivederci, Roma. <laughs>